Have you ever uh, heard someone claim to know someone, uh, but when they start to describe that somebody, uh, it seems to become very clear that they don't know that person at all? Uh, perhaps they describe them as tall when you know they are short. They perhaps describe them as blonde-haired when you know they have brown hair. And it becomes very clear that they do not know the person that they claim to know. I sometimes get that feeling when talking to certain people who call themselves Christians. Uh, They claim to know Christ. Uh, They claim to have a relationship with him. And yet the Christ they describe seems very different to the one which is presented in the Bible. Uh, Their Christ seems to be a figment of their imagination who does not bear much relationship to the Christ described in the words of Scripture. And many such people who call themselves Christians are in for a rude awakening one day when they are faced with the real Christ. That reminds me of a little story I heard of a CNN news cameraman. cameraman, And he once called a local airport at short notice to charter a flight. And he was told that a twin-engined plane would be waiting for him at the airport so that he would be able to take the photos he needed or the film he needed from the air. Uh, Arriving at the airfield, he spotted a plane uh, warming up outside the hangar and he jumped in with his bag and he slammed the door and shouted, let's go. And the pilot taxied out, uh, swung the plane into the wind and took off. Uh, Once in the air, the cameraman instructed the pilot. He said, just fly over uh, that valley and make low passes so I can get good shots of the fire on the hillside. There was a forest fire happening at the time, and he wanted to get the best shots. And the pilot asked him, why? Why do you want me to do such a thing? And the man said, I'm a cameraman for CNN, and I need to get up some close-up shots. Well, the pilot was strangely silent for a moment, And finally he stammered, so what you're telling me is, you're not my flight instructor. (laughs) That CNN cameraman had a rude awakening when he realised that he had mistaken the identity of his pilot. Uh, He had thought his pilot was someone that they actually weren't. In a much more serious way, uh, many people who would say they're Christians, would say they're believers, who perhaps go to church week after week, are in for a rude awakening when they meet Christ on Judgment Day. And he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Christ has told us who he is. We can find out who Christ is in the words of Scripture. The tragedy is, so many people do not listen 
They do not listen to what Christ has said. They do not gaze at the picture of Christ that we are given in the Bible. Uh, For many, what they think of Christ stems from their imagination. Uh, They have an idea of Christ, but if only they knew it, it's been concocted by them. It's the Christ they want, uh, the Christ they feel they need. Uh, Others, it's from a kind of general cultural idea, uh, perhaps from stained glass windows or from vague things they've heard at Easter and at Christmas. Perhaps a few have taken one or two Bible verses and have built all their understanding of Christ from just one or two words about him. But they have not gazed at the whole picture. They have not listened to Christ carefully. And one of the easiest ways uh, that we can tell if we are like that, if we are worshipping the wrong Christ, is by looking at and listening to our own prayers. You can learn a lot about what you think of Christ by what you pray to him and how you pray to him. That will tell you a lot about the Christ you worship. And oftentimes, well, maybe often is an exaggeration, but sometimes in the Gospels, Christ deliberately tests those who claim to follow him to see what is truly in their hearts. Whether they're truly following him or just merely something they want from him. Um, There's one example, uh, when Christ was walking on the water, and there's a storm, and he passes near to where his disciples are, rowing with all their might in the middle of the storm. And the gospel tells us that Jesus would have passed on by, Jesus was going as though he would pass by them until they cried out to him. Isn't that interesting? It says Jesus was going to pass on by. They were struggling. They were in a storm. But Jesus was going to walk on by them. He wanted to see what was in their hearts. Would they cry out to him or not? Uh, There's another example on the road to Emmaus. You remember how the two disciples were journeying from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they were miserable. They were despondent because Christ had been crucified uh, just three days previously. And a stranger meets them on the road, and he talks with them, and he shows them in all the scriptures how Christ had to come and die and three days later rise again. And the two disciples say that their hearts burned within them as they heard the wonderful things this stranger had to say. But then it says, as they approached the house, the stranger would have walked on by. But the disciples said, no, stay with us. Come abide with us. Eat with us. And then they learn in the breaking of bread that that stranger was Christ himself. But he would have walked on by. He was looking to see what was in their heart, 
whether they wanted him to stay or not. And we have another example here in this passage, this strange passage in Mark's Gospel. An example of where Christ waits to see what is in the heart of this woman, this woman from Syro-Phoenicia. And he tests her heart to see what is truly there. Would she cling to him or would she be offended and run away? So that's what I'd like to do uh, this evening is just look at this passage, uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30, and see what we can learn for ourselves as we come to Christ, what we can learn about our hearts as we look at the heart of this woman. And look at verse 24 and 25, where Mark introduces this account. It says, verse 24, from there he, that's Jesus, arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. We're introduced to this Gentile woman, and I think it's possible she might be the first Gentile uh, referred to in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Up to this point, Christ's interactions have all been with Jewish people, people of the nation of the Jews. But now there's this woman from Syrophoenicia. She's not a descendant of Abraham. She's not a Jew. She is a Gentile. And she has a daughter who has an unclean spirit. But she's heard that Jesus can deal with unclean spirits. She has a hope that Christ can heal her daughter. But we're told that Jesus didn't want anyone to know where he was. We're not told why, but we're told that. Verse 24, he entered the house and wanted no one to know it. He didn't want anyone to know where he was. We could say, respectfully, That Christ was hiding. And yet, this Gentile woman still managed to find him. She had a need, and she believed that Jesus could help that need. And so even though he didn't want to be found, she kept searching till he was found by her. She was insistent on finding Christ. And that's the first lesson we learned from this passage this evening. Uh, She went to Jesus. She sought Jesus even when it was inconvenient. You know, sometimes in life, uh, Jesus can seem hard to find Uh, for all sorts of reasons. Jesus can seem hard to find. Our circumstances might make him appear far away. Uh, Our lives that we've lived up to this point might make us unlikely candidates for Christ's mercy. 
And sometimes people can think that Christ is hidden from them. Uh, Other people have, in a sense, the opposite problem. And their problem is, is that they don't bother to look for Christ because they think, well, Christ should find me. Uh, They think, surely that is Christ's job. Uh, There's one, uh, it's been ascribed to many different people. I haven't been able to find who actually said it, but uh, someone once said in history, a famous person, uh, God will forgive me, it's his profession. God will forgive me, it's his profession. That's the attitude of so many people. Uh, They think, well, that's what God does. He forgives. He shows mercy. And so they don't bother to seek him because they think, well, he's going to seek me. If God is good, then he will do good to me. They're entitled, and they think that is simply what God should do. Reminds me a little bit of a uh, story I heard about a wedding guest uh, who sent a monetary gift to a couple whose wedding she had attended. And she got a response back, and she was expecting a, a thank you note for this gift she had given. Instead, the note said this, Uh, It said, we were surprised that your contribution didn't seem to match the warmth of your good wishes on our big day. If you wanted to send an adjustment, it will be thankfully received. (laughs) Can you imagine receiving a note like that? The arrogance, the rudeness of such a note. But are we really any better towards Christ so often? God gives us so many things. Christ gives us so many gifts, and yet we can respond with grumbling and complaining and griping about the things that we don't have. We think that we have a right to certain things, and when we don't get them, we winch, and we are tempted to be critical of God's for not giving us what we so evidently think we need. But that wasn't what this woman was like. She diligently saw Christ. She didn't assume that he would help her. She went and sought him even when he was hidden. She understood That Christ owed her nothing. But she sought him because she realized that only he had what she needed. And that's why it says, it says in verse 25, she came and fell at his feet. She humbly bowed to Christ. But let's move on. Let's look at verse 26 and 27 to see what happened next. Uh, Verse 26, the woman was a Greek, uh, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. The second thing we learn from this passage is that this Gentile woman was persistent 
even when she was rebuffed. Uh, Jesus' response to this woman was um, discouraging, to say the least. Uh, The Jews of this time uh, considered themselves to be the chosen people of God. They were the children of God. They were in God's own family. The Gentiles, on the other hand, the nations round about, they were no better than dogs. That's what they were in the household of this world, if you like. Uh, The Israelites, the Jews they considered, were God's chosen special people, his own children. And the Gentiles were there, but they were little better than the dogs who sat around the table. And this Syrophoenician woman would have been very conscious of this attitude that the Jewish people in general had towards her and her people. And Jesus uses that language that she would have been very familiar with to speak to her. And he says to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. He says it is the children who enjoy God's blessings. It is the Jews who God has given his blessings to. And it's not right to take the food which belongs to the children, and feed it to the dogs. That is to get things upside down. That's to get thing, your priorities in the wrong order. The children should be fed first. They're the ones who receive the food. Now, for many, that would have been the end of the conversation. Uh, many would simply have been offended at Christ's words turned their back on him and said, if that's what Christ is like, then I want to have nothing more to do with him. That's the response of many people in this world. Uh, They hear some of the things Christ says. They see some of the things Jesus does. They read some of the things that Christ says he will do. And they say, well, if that's who Christ is, I don't want anything to do with him. And they're offended by him. They say, that is not a Christ I can follow. Uh, They're like the people in the parable uh, that Jesus taught who ran after the king who went to find himself a kingdom. And they said, we do not want this man to rule over us. That's the attitude of most people when they hear Christ say things like this. And you would expect this woman to leave in disgust. But she doesn't. Instead, she continues to cling to Christ. Did you notice what it said uh, in verse 26? She kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She knew her only hope was Christ. She knew she wasn't entitled to anything, but she knew there was nowhere else she could go for the help she needed. So regardless of how offended or otherwise she may have been, she clung to him. Reminds me a little bit of John chapter 6. And do you remember how Jesus was preaching and he said to the crowds, unless you eat my flesh 
and drink my blood, uh, you will not have eternal life. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says many departed from him from that time on. Uh, People say, it's too much. I, I don't get this teaching. I don't understand this teaching. And they were offended by it. But Jesus turned to his disciples and he said to them, what about you? Will you go away as well? And Peter said some of my favorite words in the whole of Bible, or the Bible. Uh, Jesus, uh, Peter said to Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've got nowhere else to go. However offensive your words may be to us, we've got no one else to run to. Jesus is exposing what is truly in the heart of this woman. And often in life, he does the same to us. When he delays in answering our prayers, when he responds in ways which we don't expect, when he responds in ways which sometimes offend us, Christ is drawing out of us what is truly in our hearts Do we really follow him or merely follow something that he gives to us? Let's read on still. Verse 28 and verse 29. Uh, Jesus, I'll I'll read from verse 27. It says, Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. The third lesson from this passage is that this woman prayed in God's will, even when it seemed unlikely. Now, it's really important to understand what the woman does here. Uh, It's crucial to understand this woman's response, because it teaches us something crucial about prayer. Uh, Prayer, which is what this woman's doing, she's speaking to Christ. He was right in front of her, but it's still prayer because she's speaking to the God of the universe. And she prays to him, but she prays according to his will. Prayer is not twisting God's arm to get him to do something you want, but he does not want to do. That is not what prayer is. Uh, Martin Luther once said, uh, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, it's laying hold of his willingness. And that's exactly what this woman is doing in this passage. Did you notice how she starts? Verse 28. She answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. All good prayer starts with, yes, Lord. If your prayer starts, no, Lord, you've already left the path of prayer. You're not praying according to God's will. This woman does not contradict what Jesus says. She says, yes, Lord, what you say is right. You are the master, I am the servant. Yes, Lord. But look what she says next. Yes, Lord, 
Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. This is what it means to seize on God's willingness. Uh, if, I can, if I can put this reverently, and don't push this to the extreme, but if I can say this reverently, she finds the loophole in Christ's words. She doesn't argue with what Christ says, but she simply makes the point that even the dogs get to lick off the crumbs which the children leave when they eat the food. So what she's saying to Christ is, everything you say is right, but even based on what you're saying, there's still room for my request. My request is not contrary to what you say. She sees a glimmer of hope in Christ's words, and she seizes it. This is what it means to wrestle with God in prayer. It's reading God's words, discovering God's will, and reading your requests into God's will. Uh, Let's make it a little bit clearer. Uh, Did you ever say to your parent growing up, but you said? Ever started an argument that way with your parents or a, a discussion? But you said this. You said if I tidied my room, I could go out and play. You said if I did this, then you would do that. And we use that argument because it's a very powerful one, isn't it? It's a very powerful argument to use to use someone's own words in an argument, in a reasoning. And that's what this woman is doing here. She's using Christ's own words and is saying, even based on your own words, Christ, on your own words, Jesus, then my request, there is room for my request. And the Bible is full of prayers like that. Uh, do you remember Abraham when he was, if I can put that to the if it's the right word, he negotiated with God for the city of Sodom. God told Abraham, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom. But Abraham said, uh, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What if There are ten righteous people in the city of Sodom. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, Abraham was concerned about his nephew Lot, who was virtually the only righteous man in Sodom. And Abraham's desire to save his nephew Lot led him to make this prayer. But he didn't just merely say, save Lot. He used God's own character to make his request. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God, you would never judge the righteous along with the wicked. So save the city on behalf of the few righteous people who are there. Moses did the same thing. You might remember how God said to Moses, I'm going to destroy my people and I'm going to make you into Uh, I'm going to destroy them and make you into a nation instead. But Moses loved the people. He loved the children of Israel. And he prayed to God. He said, God, far be it from you to do this thing. What will the Egyptians say when they see the Israelites dying in the wilderness? They will say that you were not able to bring them up out of Egypt. 
They will say, you were not strong enough to bring them up into the promised land as you had promised. Again, Moses uses God's own character as a tool in prayer. That's what God wants us to do in our prayers, to pray according to his will, for our prayers to be shaped by who he is and what he says. That is how we pray rightly. Did you notice the response? Verse 29. Then Jesus said to her, for this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. This woman has come through the testing. Uh, Christ has found the gold in that woman's heart. He had found the faith that lay beneath. She followed Christ. She sought Christ even when everything seemed against her. And she received the answer to her prayer because she asked within the will of God. Uh, Jesus himself taught this in John chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. This is why it's so crucial that we know Christ rightly. That we don't just worship a figment of our imagination. That we don't just worship a Christ who we would like to believe in. Because when we do that, we will ask for all the wrong things. And we will ask for things in all the wrong ways. He said, Jesus says, abide in me. Let my words abide in you. Let who I am shape your desires, shape your requests. And as you do that, As you learn more about who I am and what I can do, you will see answers to your prayers because you will pray according to God's will. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. We cannot hope to pray rightly. We cannot hope to receive the answers we want unless we learn to listen to Christ and know him well. That's what Christ, that's what this woman did in this passage. And that's what the exhortation to us is as well. Firstly, to seek Jesus even when he seems hard to find. To not just give up and say, well, that's that. But to keep seeking, to be persistent. To be persistent even when Christ's answers don't seem favorable. To cling to Christ even when we don't get what it is we think we want. Because where else will we go? And above all, to pray according to God's will. To listen to what Christ says. To learn who he is and then pray accordingly. That's the key. Those are the keys to good praying. To pray in a way that is pleasing to God. And if we pray like that, if we increasingly learn to pray as this woman prayed, not just our lives, but the lives of those around us will be transformed as well. And that's why I've chosen 
as our last prayer, number 516. Uh, 516, a hymn which expresses uh, uh, that uh, sense, that, that mood that we should all have when we come to Christ. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Saviour divine. Now hear me while I pray. Take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be wholly thine. So we'll close by singing number 516.